0: The Mountain and the Word, an audio podcast show from the Mount St. Helens Creation Centre, featuring news, views, and information with a biblical and scientific perspective. The Mountain and the Word is produced and presented by creation speaker Paul Taylor and is available for download from our website mshcreationcentre.org. Welcome to episode 16 of The Mountain and the Word. This is, of course, our podcasted audio program, our radio show from the Mount St. Helens Creation Center. And my name is Paul Taylor. I'm the director of the Mount St. Helens Creation Center, and you're very welcome to join us. Well, this is episode 16, and uh, we're sort of getting quite irregular, I'm afraid, with the, the podcasts. Uh, but I wanted to try and make sure that we get one podcast more out before Christmas. This is our Christmas issue, therefore. Um, there's a few things that I want to, uh, to say. I'm going to really sort of, it's going to be like story time with Uncle Paul uh, really today. I'm going to tell you a little bit about um, the importance of Christmas and the creation message uh, in my personal experience but first I think you need some news about the Creation Centre and what we're doing. We're trying to find a permanent premises for next year and we would very much value your prayers for that. It's proving very, very difficult to uh, just track down the right building and uh, the right price because many of the buildings that are very suitable need a lot of repair and so often many of the sellers uh, don't appreciate that they, buildings need repair or pretend that they don't. and. Therefore, uh, there's just some difficulty then in uh, getting reasonable and proper offers accepted. So please uh, be in prayer for us as a ministry. Um, we're going to be continuing uh, the work of this ministry. Uh, and because of the issue of trying to find premises and a number of other initiatives that we're doing, which I'll tell you about soon, we clearly need finance to keep coming in and uh I would ask you to consider financing as i'm not asking for any specific project. i'm asking for our general fund for our ministry uh, will you please consider making um, a year-end donation to us as a ministry that would be very very helpful to us we want to finish this year in the black and so uh, please consider the possibility of making um, uh, a donation to us as a ministry uh, Uh, We really need to to raise a fair bit of money before the end of this year. And it's your opportunity really to be able to do that and uh, get a a sort of final year-end tax receipt for your year-end donations. uh, please do consider that you know our website address, mshcreationcenter.org. There is on the right-hand side of that page a yellow donation button. Click on that and give through the, uh, the panel that opens up uh, there. Uh, the, there is a, a JavaScript panel that opens up. And you're able to donate through that, and it's a secure donation panel. When that JavaScript panel opens up, it's a secure panel. However, if your software won't allow pop ups to open up, then simply go straight to continue to give.com. Continue to give.com forward slash msh creation. And there you're, uh, it's the same organization you'll be able to, uh, to give to our work. Well, thank you for considering that, um, and uh, what's, what's this other news that's going on? Well, um, I'm preparing an online academy, and we're really quite excited about this. We know that it's very often the case that people want some extended education. For instance, I go around and I I give a talk on my apologetics book, Only Believe, and uh, the book, you know, takes a few hours to read through, but the... Um, The talk will only be 45 minutes or so. I can't really deliver everything that I need to say on the subject of apologetics in that time. Uh, But nobody is going to book me to do um, six hours straight on apologetics. Well, not many. There, There have been some where I've been booked to do that, but it's not very common. It's not very frequent and it's not cost effective. And it just seems that a, a logical thing to do is to put this course online in the form of fairly straightforward, non-technical lectures on a website. So that's what I've done. I've put those on the website and there are assignments to go with the lessons. I've not quite finished it yet, but it's, um, I've got nine done so far. It looks like there's going to be 12 lectures altogether. Each lecture lasts about half an hour and then there's an assignment which lasts about half an hour. And once you've done the assignment, you can upload it through the website. You will get interaction with me there for feedback from me. And so um, that's uh, the course that we're putting there, an apologetics course that we're putting there. And I wanted to build a website so that I'll be able to do a, a, a lot of these courses eventually. That's the first course that will be there. But I want a lot of these courses eventually. Well, God willing, that website will go live on January the 15th. Uh, 2017 it's very nearly there and if you go to the website address for that you'll be able to sign up to show that you interest there. Uh, you can f- freely sign on to an email list so that we will give you uh, up-to-date information when the uh, course is actually ready. So the it's a subdomain website for that. Uh, we're calling it the Mountain Word Academy so you can get to that site at mwacademy.mshcreationcenter.org. or simply go to uh, mshcreationcenter.org and follow the link, uh, the link on the right hand side for the Mountain Word Academy. And uh, at the moment you'll get to a holding page But you can uh, register your email address there So that we'll give you uh, immediate information As soon as the proper website goes live And the the course at the moment Looks like it's going to cost uh, $150 To be able to go through that course Which I think is pretty good value You're getting all these lectures You're getting all that time And it's not simply recorded and forgotten about There is interaction with me um, uh, through the uh, the assignments and the receiving of the assignments and uh, there'll be interaction there. Uh, so, uh, hopefully that will help you. Now, that's the Mountain Word Academy then. Um, the other big news is to do with the ministry known as Creation Moments. Creation Moments is the oldest uh, established uh, creation ministry in the United States and it's been going for um over 50 years, they had their 50th anniversary in 2013. Well, one of the main things that they are noted for is producing um, a two-minute radio program, uh, which is broadcast, it's one of these filler programs, broadcast on a large number of radio stations around the country and also over the internet so uh, that, that is called Creation Moments, and their, their ministry takes its name from those little radio programmes. Well, for many years, those uh, broadcasts have been voiced by Ian Taylor, who is no relation, despite the fact that he's is uh, originally British. He's actually a Canadian citizen, but originally British. Um, it's no secret that um, Ian Taylor has been ill for quite a while and is not able to continue doing those programs. So as from the second week of January, the new voice of Creation Moments will be yours truly. Uh, So uh, it's a very great honour for me. I was asked to um, take over those programs. So I've not just been voicing them, I've been writing them too. So I've been writing and uh, recording those programs, and they will start uh, being broadcast from the second week of january so uh very excited about that hope uh, you're looking forward to that and uh, that's going to be a great um, uh, relationship great uh, wonderful piece of work that uh, we're going to be able to work together that's uh, our ministry will be working closely then with uh, the creation moments ministry and as i said we're very excited indeed about that Well, one Christian leader has been saying recently that Christianity doesn't hinge on the truth of the stories of the birth of Jesus. It really hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. Well, I beg to differ. Um, in, In my opinion, it's very important that we understand the truth of the stories of the birth of Jesus. This is foundational to everything that we know about Jesus. We have to understand uh, about the birth of Jesus in order fully to understand uh, the doctrine of the hypostatic union, which, remember, is, is in my opinion, a doctrine just as important as the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, The Trinity tells us that the Godhead, that God is three persons, one being. and uh, there's one God in with three persons there. Um, The Hypostatic Union is telling us specifically about the second person of the Trinity, about Jesus, that his nature is fully 100% God and fully 100% man. There's that dual nature, and yet one person. So, uh, we need to understand uh, the concept between um, the divinity, between God, the being, persons, and natures, in order to, uh, to fully to, to comprehend a little bit about these important doctrines, which can't be fully comprehended but can't be fully ignored either. They need to be tackled and we need to do our best to understand them. Now, in my personal experience, these doctrines were always closely identified with my faith as a Christian. It's absolutely vital to me. And you see, I love Christmas. And I'm going to tell you a few things about um, the Christmas star. And it's not that I'm advocating ignoring Christmas, because I'm going to be telling you that some things didn't happen the way that tradition says. But please do not think that I'm advocating ignoring Christmas. Especially don't think that I'm talking against Scripture because everything happened exactly as Scripture says. The trouble is our tradition is not quite the same as Scripture. But everything happened exactly as Scripture says. Now picture please a typical um, crib scene, a typical nativity scene. It would usually be looking like a stable. And uh, in that stable, uh, you would uh, see a manger and you'd see uh, what they usually refer to as the Holy Family. There's Joseph and there's Mary. There's baby Jesus in the manger. You've got some shepherds there. They've brought a lamb with them. And you've got uh, uh, Jesus, of course, is in a manger rather than a crib. Um, and uh, you've got a couple of other animals that you're likely to find around the um, the manger as well. There's a star over the roof of the stable and there's three wise men there. Um, three kings maybe, but there's certainly wise men, important people, and they've brought their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Well, it's a lovely scene. There's a few problems with it. Um, the first problem is uh, that... There's no evidence that they were in a stable. Scripture doesn't say that they were in a stable. It says that Jesus was laid in a manger. There's no evidence that they were in a stable. Secondly, they're supposed to have gone had to go to the stable because there was no room in the inn. Well, you see, it wasn't an inn. That's not actually correct. Now, of course, uh, you've got the word inn there, but uh, the word inn is actually a translation of the Greek word kataluma. Now, Cataluma actually means guest room and we see that when uh, uh, Jesus is planning uh, the, uh, the last supper and he's asking for the guest room he is asking for the cataluma where they can have the last supper and uh, most houses would have a guest room a family room where family could gather on special occasions. And of course, this occasion is very important because as a census being planned, a lot of people are on the move going to different places. Joseph and Mary were on the move. And I don't think that you should suppose that they were moving, uh, had any thought of moving temporarily. Uh, This was, as far as they were concerned, a permanent move to Bethlehem. They were not Intending at this time to go back to Nazareth. Now that came about later, of course, when they were led out back out of Egypt, having gone to Egypt, but that's a lot, that's further down the story. That's a couple of years down the, the story. Um, I, I think their move from Nazareth to Bethlehem was intended to be permanent. Joseph would therefore have had some family in Bethlehem. And they would have been able to call on their family. There would have been a guest room. However, we have to assume that because of the unusual circumstances of the census, there would have been quite a lot of family gathering and there wasn't enough room in the cataluma in the guest room. Uh, for a baby to be born and therefore they went downstairs not to a stable but to the downstairs room where the the animals would be kept and there would therefore have been built into the wall a, a manger that was fairly common because it might seem odd but they tended to bring their animals in on cold nights and then they would send them out again in the morning and clean up that room. So it was a perfectly normal and natural thing for them to do. It's warm enough, and uh, uh, there was uh, they, they were able, therefore, to make use temporarily of the manger as a crib. Okay, so much so. So we're getting the idea then that there are some issues with the traditional story, and there are some issues to do with the star that's uh, that's uh, positioned over the stable, and there are certainly some problems to do with the three wise men or magi well let's just uh, have a look at those then first of all um, it's quite useful to read what uh, the bible says on this subject and uh, we find something about this in Matthew's gospel chapter 2 Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. Well, it's clear that we're going to need to talk about these wise men, who they are, and why they have come here. Uh, That's going to be very important. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Well, what was this star that's being referred to, and who were the wise men? Well, let's deal with the second question first. The wise men, um, the word there, translated wise men, is magoi, from which we get our word magi. And some people have suggested, therefore, that these could be magicians Um, because we get the word magic from that too. But just because this is to do with wisdom doesn't mean we have to assume that these were magicians um, trying to perform conjuring tricks. I don't think that's the case. Obviously, there's a tradition in that area of the world of certain wise, clever people trying to perform magical acts. Or maybe they made the magic that they were doing was the magic of the stars. Uh, Other people then have suggested that they're astrologers. Well, they were certainly looking at the stars, or for one star in particular, but again, I don't think that's what it means. I think these men came from the east. It tells us that they came from the east, but the east probably means Babylon. It probably means uh, the Fertile Crescent, and so it probably means Babylon. Now, how many wise men were there? Traditionally, we've always assumed that there were three. You'll notice that it doesn't say there were three. It says wise men. It is plural. So there must have been at least two. However, I think it's likely that there were a lot more. After all, if there were just three, Herod could easily have taken them and locked them up straight away. I think there could have been a considerable number because he was troubled by what was being said, and all of Jerusalem with him. All the leaders were troubled too because there's presumably an army of these wise men who have come. So that's why I think that there's probably more than we think uh, as regards uh, these, these wise men. Now, Herod wanted to know the exact time of the appearance of the star. Why is that? well it's presumably because he knew that the star indicated the birth of the Messiah and there are reasons we'll come to in a minute how he would know that so he gets the appearance of the star but I want you to follow that later on he has he, he, he has all boys up to two years old killed why up to such an age? after all when he refers to um uh, going to the, the his imaginary idea, of, it, or rather his, his false lie of saying that he was going to go and worship um, uh, uh, the new Messiah. He, he described him as a child. He did not use the word for an infant, a babe in arms. So we have to assume then that the star then, he's been told about the exact time of the appearance of the star being, two years ago. He knows, therefore, he's trying to find someone who is two years, maybe a bit less, but certainly around about that age. And that's why he orders that uh, so many baby boys up to the age of two should be killed. Now, what about the wise men? Well, why these wise men are, in fact, referred to elsewhere in the Bible. They're referred to in the book of Daniel. Now, in Daniel chapter 2... Uh, there's a group of wise men, a class of wise men, and Magi in Babylon who advise King Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar has this troubling dream, remember. And he says to the wise men that you're going to, you need to tell me the interpretation of the dream. But I'm not going to tell you the dream. You've got to tell me what the dream is. And uh, this is this is quite important. And of course, the wise men uh, quite rightly say that no human being can do this. Uh, So Nebuchadnezzar is going to have the wise men killed. Okay well Daniel saved the wise men and it tells us in Daniel 2.24 Therefore Daniel went in to Ariok whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Ariok brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him. I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation?' Daniel answered the king and said no wise men, enchanters, magicians or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. And then Daniel tells him about the dream and interprets it. Well. I, I go into this in more detail in my DVD called uh, Bethlehem's Star. But you need to follow them that uh, Daniel therefore has saved the wise men. We also know that Daniel was able to calculate the date of Messiah's coming. Uh, that, that, uh, you look in Daniel chapter 9 and you'll see that uh, Daniel has calculated this. Uh, the, the date of Christ's coming—he's made that calculation. Actually, it's the date of Christ's death. Now, this explains then if these wise men are descendants of the same—not uh, literal descendants, but sort of um, in the same school, if you like, the same university as the as Daniel's wise men. Then um, they have had passed down to them this knowledge from Daniel. Uh, who became the leader of the wise men? This knowledge that, of the date that the Messiah would die. This is quite important. They didn't know when Messiah would be uh, would be born, but they did know when he would die. Now, presumably, uh, you know, you say, well, Jesus uh, lived to be 33, so we're talking about 33 AD. Actually, it's around about AD 29 because we have that date of birth of Jesus slightly wrong. But let's say it's around, let's just sort of even it out and say it's round about 30 AD that they've discovered. Now, of course, they didn't know about AD and BC. Don't worry about that for the moment. But whatever their calendar is saying, uh, they're expecting the death of the Messiah around about AD 30, which means, you know, to subtract 70 from that, they were probably looking for the Messiah and the symbol to go with the Messiah from around about 40 BC. So this entire philosophical school, this University of Magi, are looking for the birth of the Messiah from about 40 BC onwards, maybe a little bit earlier than that. Um, now, they knew when the star appeared that this was a sign because it comes from the prophecy that Jacob had made over his sons in Numbers chapter 24. Um, actually, it, sorry, it's rather, a uh, bigger part. it's in Genesis chapter 49, where Jacob says the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. So they know that this is from the tribe of Judah, and also another prophet from the east, Balaam, had prophesied in Numbers 24 about the staff. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Balaam wasn't a nice man, by the way. Uh, um, it's just that he, cannot, he, he can't curse Israel. God will not let him curse Israel. And so uh, he he, he, uh, prophesies these blessings over Israel. So they're looking for a star. Balaam is from the east. He's from an earlier period of the school of wise men before Daniel. So the wise men have got Balaam's traditions as well as Daniel's traditions and they know therefore that the Messiah will come from the tribe of Judah so Jerusalem is the obvious place to go. They know that the Messiah's arrival would be proclaimed by a star and they know roughly when it's going to happen Uh, clearly they've been waiting a while. Um, They didn't realise perhaps that the Messiah was going to die so young, but from maybe about 40, between 40 and 60 BC, they've been watching and waiting for a sign. Then the star appears. Because they're in this heightened alert, they're looking for something, the star is the clear indication. Now, that means that the star must be recognisable, not just like any other star in the sky. And this is important. It must be something that the Magi would recognise as a symbol of uh, the birth of the Messiah. Now, there are lots of new stars that appear all the time, as we'll see in a minute. So it had to be something that they were not going to mistake for anything else. And by the way, they didn't know to go to Bethlehem. This is important. They went to Jerusalem. They did not go to Bethlehem. And that's because one piece of prophecy they didn't have is the prophecy of Micah. They didn't have that. That's the prophecy given to uh, people back in Israel. So the wise men in Babylon did not have that available to them. Okay. Now, what was this star? Well, some people say it could either have been Jupiter or Venus. And the planet Venus uh, actually in many ways was responsible to some extent for me coming to faith. Now I was brought up to go to the Church of England, my parents went to the Church of England, we grew up going to a church called St Michael and All Angels uh, in Ashton-Underline, a very ancient church, it's actually mentioned in the Doomsday book, Uh, so it's a very ancient church and I remember that every Christmas they would have uh, the what they called the Festival of Nine Lessons and Carols. The lessons mean readings rather than actual lessons. These readings were going to be taken from nine different places in the Bible. Ending, of course, the last of those lessons uh, was going to be John chapter 1, um, the great account of uh, Jesus being the Word. Well the first of the nine lessons was from Genesis chapter 3 verses 8 to 19 and traditionally in Anglican churches when you have this festival of nine lessons and carols traditionally the head choir boy reads that lesson and in 1972 that was me. So it was my job to climb into this really high pulpit open up the Bible at Genesis chapter 3 and read about the promised seed The promised seed that was going to come and crush the head of the serpent, the proto-evangelium, the basic gospel given immediately after the first sin in the world. That stuck in my mind for a very long time that at the age of 11 I was giving that lesson in, uh, in church. OK, now shortly after that, well, maybe a couple of years after that, my family had an argument with the minister and we moved to a different Anglican church. If you've been to the Church of England, you will know that um, there are different types of churches in the Church of England. Some of them are very traditional and liberal. Some of them are uh, quite high church, almost Catholic in their uh, um, liturgy and some are Bible-believing evangelical churches and you don't really know from the outside uh, what you're going to get inside uh, the one where we were brought up was a traditional liberal church well when my family having had an argument shortly before Christmas we moved to the next church in the town of Stavy Bridge, actually it was probably a bit closer to where we lived really but uh, This is the church we went to, Holy Trinity Church in Staley Bridge. And this was and still is one of the Bible-believing evangelical churches in the Church of England. So I heard the gospel for the first time. And this made a huge impression on me. Uh, We're talking about 1976. I was 15 years old. I think the first Sunday we went there was probably December 12th. Uh, we would then have been on the at the uh, carol service on the evening uh, of Sunday, December the nineteenth, and uh, that then um, uh, yeah that carol service stuck in my mind. But we also had a midnight communion service on Christmas Eve, nineteen seventy six. Now, I came out of church. After the carol service, uh, so it was early Christmas morning, and walked into the parking lot, and there in the sky was a very bright star. And this spoke to me because I'd heard the gospel, and I knew that moment at the age of 15, coming out of that church, that I did not actually know Jesus for real. I knew that I was not a Christian. And there was the star in the sky, reminding me that everything that we're hearing about the gospel of Jesus Christ was true and was real. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I didn't for one minute think that was the star of Bethlehem. I knew it was the planet Venus. And we can look at the star charts. We can see, I beg your pardon, it's not the planet Venus, I do apologise, the planet Jupiter. I knew it was the planet Jupiter. We can look at the star charts and it's clearly the planet Jupiter. Now, the planet Jupiter would be nothing special. The wise men would expect that. But to me, it just reminded me that these things were true. And it wasn't very long after that that I was saved early in 1977. Um, Now, a second thing is that uh, maybe people think that maybe the star of Bethlehem wasn't just the individual planet Jupiter or Venus, but a conjunction of the two, maybe including the planet Saturn as well. Uh, There was certainly uh, an extremely interesting conjunction of Venus and Jupiter in 2015. And it was said to be pretty much the same sort of conjunction as you got round about the birth of Jesus. Now conjunctions are rare where two stars come together and appear as one star. They are rare, but they're not unknown. And the, the Chinese have, have uh, recorded these. Um, I'm sure other civilizations did too, but we have the records of the Chinese, which is why I mentioned them. And they've got um, records of these, you know, well before the birth of Jesus. So these things were known to ancient people. Therefore, although this would be an interesting and remarkable uh, view It's not something unique. And I don't think the wise men would therefore have thought of it as something unique. Well, if it wasn't a conjunction, maybe it was a supernova. But again, supernovas are not unique. They've appeared, but, you know, it's not unique. Well, maybe it was a comet. Um, And many people have suggested that it could, in fact, have been Harley's comet. Harley's comet um, passed over... Uh, the Earth ends about seven b c but that 's too early really for Jesus and yet the painter Giotto thought of um uh, uh, the Harley's comet. Of course, he didn't call it Halley's Comet then, because Halley lived later and named the comet, but this is a regular comet that comes around once every 76 years or so. There was an appearance of that comet in 1301, and that inspired uh, Giotto to paint his famous painting, The Adoration of the Magi, where the star is shown as the comet that had appeared that year. Well, I don't think it could have been the comet either. And you've got to remember that these events in Matthew's Gospel are all supernatural. So what about the star itself? Well, the Greek word for star is aster. But aster doesn't just mean a star. It can also mean any form of atmospheric radiance or brilliance. Well, this is interesting, because don't forget that this star had some properties which are not the sort of properties that a natural object would have. First of all, the star appeared in the east, but don't forget that... um, We wouldn't expect that to happen. If the star was seen in the east, it means that the star was in the west. But stars do not rise in the west, they rise in the east. Now this star disappeared and reappeared. You see, there is no evidence that these wise men followed the star to Jerusalem. It doesn't say that. They say they saw the star, and later on the star appeared again to guide them to Bethlehem, and they were joyful because they saw the star which they had seen in the east. So the implication of that is that they didn't see the star while they were travelling to Jerusalem. For two years they had not seen this star. So this star had appeared the moment Jesus was born, and then disappeared And then appeared again when they were leaving Jerusalem. And they knew they had to go to Bethlehem because they'd been told that. But they were nevertheless glad of following this star. And the star stood over a house. Well natural stars don't stand over houses. So I think what we're seeing here is that this star is actually an atmospheric glow. And it was standing over the house. And what evidence do we have for an atmospheric glow? Well we've got to go all the way back to the appearance of God in the wilderness to the children of Israel. In Exodus chapter 13, verse 21, we read, The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they may travel by day and by night. And of course, when they encamped, then you've got the pillar of fire over the tabernacle over the Holy of Holies, because that's where the dwelling of God is. And so as these wise men come to Bethlehem, they come to the house where that Joseph and Mary have moved into, because it's two years on, remember, they're not still in this uh, guest room or um, manger room, they're not in those, they're in a house, and the pillar of fire which is meant to guide the people, has guided them to that house and stands over the house because inside that house is the glory of God. I just find that beautiful to think of it in that way. So that's why um, the wise men went there and they worshipped and this is just so significant. So just to sum up, how did the wise men know what to do? Did they know by magic? No, we've said that uh, uh, that's not what's being meant by the word magi. It's simply to do with their wisdom. Did they know uh, about the star by astrology? Again, no, because these were not superstitious people. They were scientifically minded. They were not looking for that. They were not looking for magic or astrology or any form of sorcery. They simply had their eyes open waiting for a sign of the coming of the Messiah. What they did know, they knew by exegesis, because what bit of God's word they had, they interpreted, and they read it, and they followed it through carefully. And that's how we come to find the Messiah today, by careful exegesis, by reading God's word. Well, the wise men brought to Jesus three gifts. This is why many people think there are three wise men, but there aren't. As I said, there's probably a large number, but there are three gifts. Gold, gold to do with the fact that they were visiting a king. Frankincense to do with the fact that they're visiting God. And myrrh to do with the fact that this God-man was going to die. So there's a prophecy contained in those three gifts. And that's what the account is all about, because through those three gifts, we understand that Jesus was and is a king. Jesus was and is God. That Jesus was and is human, born, destined to die. The wise men knew he was going to die. They knew the, pretty much the, the date of the death that was going to happen. And they came to worship because they knew who this person was and they knew it by the careful exegesis of the little bit of God's word that they had. Well that's marvellous, that's wonderful. Hopefully you can see why that is so special to me, why that's so important to me. And uh, I hope you don't mind me using this particular broadcast of The Mountain and the Word to share that with you. This has been episode 16 of The Mountain and the Word. Thank you for listening. My name's Paul Taylor. Keep your podcasting software up to date so that you don't miss the next episode. Bye. That was the Mountain and the Word, an audio podcast show from the Mountain House Creation Center. For more information, visit our website, mshcreationcentre.org.